Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the BT Powerhouse podcast. My name is Thomas Bendit. As always, I am your host. It is Friday, June 17th, going into the the weekend here, um, middle of the June. Can't, not much to complain about. Weather Weather's great, at, le- at least around my parts, I should say. Uh, weather's great. We got a great NBA Finals going on. Well, I guess the the games themselves haven't necessarily been great, but we're going into game seven now, which is, which is always exciting. If you're a, a basketball fan, I know not all the college fans love, love the NBA, but it's hard not to, not to like a game seven where, you know, you have LeBron James and the Cavs versus Steph Curry and the golden state warriors. But um, NBA aside, <coughs> excuse me. Um, well, I guess not NBA side, but we also have the draft here coming up shortly. Our last podcast, if you didn't check it out, I encourage everyone to to take a listen to it. We had uh, um, Joseph Nardone from Today's You and Today's Fast Break on to break down a lot of the Big Ten draft prospects and the big name potential free agents. Obviously, we'll have to see how that all shakes out um, next Thursday night. Um, hopefully, we'll have a sort of a podcast reaction, a roundtable after that. Um, probably not on draft night, but maybe Friday or, or Saturday. Um, certainly by time early the week after, which I think is the 25th or so, I want to say. Um, but hopefully we'll have some sort of podcast reaction. We'll certainly have a ton of stuff on btpowerhouse.com, but you know, a, a lot to follow on that end. But also, you know, we're still having the 2017 recruiting is, is still heating up for a lot of teams. Um, Additionally, there's some late 2016 stuff still shaking out, and we have the transfer market, which has not finished <laughs> completely, I guess. Uh, Rutgers missed on a, a transfer last weekend, um, Francis from Florida, and Michigan still pursuing Charles Matthews. We'll see how that shakes out. Um, I can't think of any other transfers off the top of my head here, but still, still some rosters shaking out, I guess, is a – is a way to put it. We'll, we'll see how that turns out here in the next couple of weeks, but you know, the big thing to follow will be the NBA draft. We'll see how that turns out. And then the summer league, which I'm anticipating a lot of big 10 guys will be in not only from this year's group, but also last year's group, which was a pretty deep draft group. I, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. I, you know, I, I personally, I'm one of the people who likes the summer league. I know that's not a popular opinion, but I, I think it's a lot of fun. I think it's cool to see, you know, some, some of the big 10 guys who aren't necessarily good enough to make the NBA or at least a roster regularly, but are good enough to be in the summer league conversation. I think that'll be something that that's a lot of fun, uh, at least for me. But um, outside of that, you know, we're in we're in the off season here, and and one of the this is a podcast we've been trying to do, and an interview we've been trying to do here for the last couple of weeks. Just schedules have gotten messed up, communication has been a, a little bit of an issue, but we have we have finally figured it out. We're going to get U Street on from SB Nation's Minnesota site, the Daily Gopher, and we're going to chat some Minnesota hoops. I know it's not our norm to just chat about one team on a podcast, but this is one that I thought was worthwhile. Um, First off, because 
Minnesota typically hasn't gotten a ton of coverage in some of our podcasts just because, you know, they haven't been the greatest over the last couple of years. So I, I think they're deserving of a little, we'll say, quote unquote, extra coverage here. Um, as well, they've also had some interesting things in the news, whether it's been transfers into their program, whether it's been transfers out of their program, and also uh, the athletic department has had a lot of chaos, <laughs> I guess, to, to put it nicely here over the last month, month and a half or so. Um, so I, I think it's, it's a worthy topic. Um, and I know it's a, um, it's a Friday evening, so I'm sure not a lot of people will be catching this on the replay, but I, I think it's, they're going to be one of the more interesting teams in the big 10 next year. I know I say that about a lot of teams, but you know, to me, if you're really sitting back and looking at who's going to be the most interesting outside of, you know, Indiana, Wisconsin, Michigan state are obviously going to be really interesting because all three are potential final four contenders. But outside of those three, the top contenders, I think, you know, there are three teams that really catch my eye and catch my interest. And that's Iowa and Maryland, just because there's so many guys leaving, you know, both teams, I believe both teams are losing four starters from last season. I'm, running through my, my mental checklist here. But, yeah, both teams losing two starters. But they both have a Big Ten Player of the Year candidate coming back, which gives them both a chance to make some noise and also a, a big chance to regress. So I, I think those two are teams that, you know, if everything hits for either of those teams, they're going to be top top four, top five Big Ten teams. They're going to easily make the NCAA tournament and uh, – I'd say have an outside chance at making a run in March, but you know, it's going to be, you know, at the lower end, they missed the tournament. You know, we'll have to see on that, but I think those two teams are particularly interesting. Um, and then the last one is Minnesota. I, a lot of new faces coming in, a lot of new talent. There's not a lot a reason to think they regress, but at the same time, you know, they, they didn't exactly have the greatest season last year. So it'll be really interesting in a make or break year for Patino coming in uh, to kind of see how it turns out, but to help us break it down, um, we do have you street in from, from the daily gopher. How's it going, man? Uh, it's good. Can you hear me? Yeah. 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 Everything's up to speed. <laughs> I was just Fantastic. talking about yeah, of, no, it's going great. <laughs> yeah, just talking about some of the chaos we've, we've been having trying to set this up. So I'm really, I'm really relieved that we finally, we finally got it going here, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, why don't, why don't we jump right into it here? Um, Minnesota, you know, it's rare. We kind of do a, a special podcast on a, on a team this early, but I think Minnesota has is deserving just because of how much has been in the news lately on this team. Um, what, what is going on in Minneapolis? I guess. <laughs> it's a, it's a good question. I think that there's a combination of factors happening for newsworthiness. I mean, one, obviously, is unfortunately there have been a variety of negative stories uh, going around the program. I think most of those stories are fully deserved. I think some of those stories also have to do with the fact that the team was the worst it's been in about half a century last year. And I think when you have a poor season – a lot of other issues that are probably minor or non-issues at a campus that, you know, is coming off an NCAA tournament birth 
become issues in the offseason. Now, that's not to downplay, obviously, serious allegations. So uh, the potential, uh, I'll bet, dismissed charge against Reggie Lynch for some potential sexual assault uh, was uh, was a story in the offseason that obviously deserves to be talked about. I am less inclined to think that the overspending scandal is one, a scandal or two, particularly noteworthy at say a different power five program that is coming off an elite eight, elite eight. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. You know, it's, it's not, um, it's not something that raised my eye that much. I, you know, I, I agree. I think the only reason it's been a story is just because, you know, the team has struggled the last couple of years and, I think people are looking for reasons to kind of twist the knife, I guess, <laughs> for lack of another term, uh, for Patino. But um, but with Patino, I, I think this is a good place to start. Um, it's certainly the thought that's on everyone's mind nationally. Um, is this a make-or-break year for Patino at Minnesota? Absolutely. If he doesn't make the tournament, I can't possibly imagine that he has a job at Minnesota next year. Mm-hmm. And – I guess so. Is is that your your at least your cutoff? I know it's different for obviously everyone, but do you think he has to make the tournament, or is there a way? You know, he makes the NIT, they show progress that that you think he can come back. I think some some of this has to deal with whether or not Reggie Lynch sees the floor. But presuming that his charge is dismissed. Uh, further investigation continues that dismissal and he sees the floor. If you were to look at that team on paper, you have a unquestionably top 50 recruit coming in who would have been a top 25 recruit had he not torn his ACL played as an alternate in the Jordan game. So you have your top recruit coming in. The team is returning almost all of its scoring the vast majority of its distribution. It's rebounding it upgrades at every position of need and its other primary recruits only add to those uh, that depth and that skill level. So I think if you just look at it on paper, this is a team that you say that team should make the NCAA tournament. And if they don't make the NCAA tournament, then it's fundamentally a question of an inability to develop those players into a cohesive team to be successful at the college level when you couple that with, again, the worst season in 50 years and a new athletic director who does not have really any other program that he can make his mark on in terms of changing into a new direction, I think it's reasonable not only from an expectations level but also from reading the politics of the situation that Patino's seat is very hot, period, and is likely he's likely gone if he doesn't make the NCAA tournament. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely some interesting thoughts, and uh, it's it's just always hard, you know, for a lot of it's, it's certainly for fans who are not part of the bubble, the Minnesota bubble, or you know, the team bubble, to really get a gauge on on how fans are feeling coming into the the season. But um, but I do want to hit on a couple of these. This may be a little frustrating for you, but I want to get the bad news out of the way, so to speak, before we dive into you know what to look forward to. Um, the first is last season. Obviously, it was a major letdown. Um, I don't think anyone thought it was going to be an outstanding year, but I also don't think anyone thought it was going to be that bad. Um, what what went wrong exactly? Because, it, you know, the team started pretty well. You know, I, I don't want to say they they were great 
but I mean, they had, they had a few decent wins to start the year. Um, you know, they beat Clemson. Uh, they looked decent in, in a couple of their losses, you know, a tight loss to Temple. And then they just kind of fell off the map. Um, what, what, in your opinion, is, you know, went wrong for the team? think the start is they weren't that good fair enough i i think that beyond that the there are probably a couple things one the offense that patino runs is predicated on people being able to shoot the basketball from distance and the gophers were very bad for a long period of time at being able to do that so that's one problem just a schematic issue the second thing is they were very young and I think that youth in this situation led to part of that problem as well because all of a sudden you had people who uh, for lack of a better term when you got into situations when you were down when you had problems they didn't quite have the experience to really close those games out so that's the second problem third is they ran into probably a confluence of factors, both off-season problems, on-season problems, where all of a sudden, when you have a few losses in a row and you lose your confidence, I think the intangibles in sports are frequently overrated. But in this case, I think a lot of the losses they had in the Big Ten season where they were close and then just blew a game or they were making a comeback and just ran out of gas, I think there was something mentally with the team that didn't really feel that they could make those wins. And I think that has a lot to do with it just sort of snowballing. And lastly, I think you have to look at the coaching staff. I think it's frankly unacceptable to get blown out by Northwestern by that many (laughs) points after seeing the exact same offense Northwestern's going to run earlier in the season and get blown out by them. Mm -hmm. So I don't think that they're – Staff did a good job at preparing a team. I think there are plenty of other challenges, and I'm sure there are a variety of things happening behind the scenes that we'll never be privy to. But Mm -hmm. I think you have to blame a lot of the coaching staff for not preparing their players to execute a game plan and the players for not executing whatever game plan they were supposed to. Yeah, yeah, I mean – you know, I, I hate to, you know, put too much blame because, as you said, you know, it was the experience. It was the fact that they didn't have necessarily the, the playmakers they would have liked, certainly on the wing. But, um, but yeah, I mean, particularly at home. I mean, just, just off the top of my head, they had that horrible game against Northwestern, like you mentioned. Um, and then, I mean, they blew the game against Illinois. Uh, they blew the game against Michigan uh, later in the year at home. So, I mean, a couple wins that were right there for the taking, and they just – couldn't close the deal, but, um, but moving on from that, um, the other thing I, I wanted to focus on here was, uh, clearly there was a lot of off season trouble late in the year, you know, multiple suspensions. And now there's a, another suspension for Reggie Lee, uh, Lynch, which we'll kind of see, um, first, what did you make of some of those suspensions? And as far as Lynch goes, do you have any update on whether he'll be available and further, uh, what do you think that'll mean for the team? You know, whether he can play or not. I think it's, excuse me, I think it's first important to 
clarify the distinction between the off-season problems at the end of the year and what Reggie Lynch was accused of because I think often when we talk about college sports, we talk about them as off-the-field distractions. Uh, Kevin Dorsey, Dupree McBrayer, and Nate Mason were suspended as a result of a videotape being posted without Kevin Dorsey's consent or knowledge, someone stole his phone, to his Twitter account. We don't know if that videotape itself was made consensually or a variety uh, of other reasonable questions to ask in the situation. But no one claimed, either the woman or any of the players, that anything occurred in a non-consensual fashion. Reggie Lynch was accused of sexual assault. Now, he was accused in such a way and the police felt they had enough evidence that he was arrested uh, but the prosecution and the DA in Minneapolis felt that for whatever reason they did not have uh, enough evidence or a strong enough case to prosecute so the case was uh, dismissed with the option to reopen it now what I think that will probably mean going forward is that unless something drastically changes within the next three to six months, that case is probably dropped. I would expect Reggie Lynch is available to play at the beginning of the season. I think it is probably reasonable to suspect that he may be suspended for a game or two at the beginning of the season for a potential violation of team rules that's carrying over from the off season. With that said, I think that there is a open question towards the University of Minnesota basketball team as to the culture that it is creating in regards to how players uh, deal with women. And I think that is a reasonable question to ask because while it's true that these are all men, they all are definitely old enough to know better, and it's certainly not difficult to avoid sexually assaulting someone. At the same time, the culture of being a Division One athlete is a different culture, and I think one of the fairly legitimate criticisms of Patino and his staff has been that these types of incidents keep occurring. And while it's fair to say that maybe it occurs once, in that that is totally on the person who actually did it. As you get multiple incidents that are all generally revolving around the same sort of issues and the same sort of social politics, I think, there's a, I think that's a, a fair criticism to make of it, that the staff is not adequately preparing their players to deal with that part of college life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's an, it's an interesting point. Um, it does make you wonder. You know, it, it's hard to get – too harsh on a, you know, on a coach or a coaching staff, just because I'm, you know, I I don't think any coaching staff wants their players getting involved in these types of situations, but um, yeah, the sheer number certainly raises your eyebrows and and it does make you wonder. And, you know, along with that, I, I think you can certainly make the argument that it has cost them games. And and if Lynch can't play it, it certainly will cost them games next year. Um, but moving on to that, one other loss I want to hit on quick before we sort of switch to the positive side of things. Um, Charles Bugs transferred out um, as a graduate transfer, or at least he's planning to. I'm not sure if he's officially transferred yet. Um, what, what do you make of that loss? Um, how significant is it? Um, because he certainly, at least from the raw stats, contributed a lot last year. Um, what are your thoughts on his transfer? 
I think his transfer was predicted by everyone who closely follows the program. I liked Bugs a lot. I thought he had a very nice blend of athleticism and raw potential. For whatever reason, he never seemed to click with Richard Pitino, and why that is the case, I have no no knowledge of. But as a consequence, while he produced for extended periods of the season, he sat on the bench and wasn't even play wasn't playing. In the off season previously, the Gophers accepted a transfer from Devontae Fitzgerald, who more or less plays the same type of game that Charles Bugs does, with the addition of recruits in Eric Curry and Michael Hurt, you now have additional people who would probably take Bugs' spot as that sort of tweener four. So if I'm Charles Bugs and I'm looking at this team and I'm dealing with my experience from last year and I'm trying to figure out where my minutes are coming from, I would have a very difficult time doing that. I think I wish Bugs nothing but success. Hopefully he finds a team and as a graduate, Transfer is able to to be very successful, but I don't think that the Gophers are going to really feel his loss in any real way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I, I I tend to agree at least from a a macro aspect. I I don't think it's a it's a huge loss. Um, it will be interesting to watch though if some of the freshmen don't hit the ground running. Um, what it could mean, but but with that, let, let's switch pace here and, and on to some of the positives here. Uh, we've already hit on Lynch a little bit, what he could bring to the team, depending on this legal scenario, how it shakes out. Um, but you mentioned a couple of the other transfers. Uh, there are two that are popping up, at least in my head. Um, and that's Devonte Fitzgerald and that's Akeem Springs, uh, who are both going to be eligible this year and both look to at least compete for a starting job, if not get a starting job. Uh, what what do you make of these two guys, and how much of an impact can they make next year? I think that they both present a interesting piece for the team. I think both of them will predominantly be depth players. Uh, Springs more so than Fitzgerald, pending how the freshmen mm-hmm. do. Fitzgerald's transfer is sort of interesting because sort of looking at his efficiency stats, he's not really the kind of player that should succeed in Patino's offense. Chucker, but he's not particularly good (laughs) from distance. He is not a particularly efficient player, but he is long. He is definitely athletic. He is supposedly fully recovered after his knee injury. He apparently was redefining his game in the off season if he's learned how to hit a three and has learned how to take, you know, more effective, efficient shots, I think he could be very dangerous. I think you're getting, as I said, sort of the same player that Charles Bugs was. And when Charles Bugs played very well against Iowa and apparently only Iowa, he was (laughs) a very hard player to guard at the college level because he's tall and he's athletic. And if you put a three on him, he can just shoot over, a three, if you put a four on him, he's very easy to drive past. I think that's the the upside of Devontae Fitzgerald is you could get that player that's a very difficult matchup at the college level. I think Springs brings a player who is basically transferring in to hold 
what is Kevin Dorsey's scholarship for a year and I think would play similar to a Kevin Dorsey player. He'll come off the bench. He probably will not be expected to be a heavy offensive contributor, but uh, certainly showed that he's willing to take a lot of shots while he was at the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee. Uh, the Gophers played against him last year. He lit the Gophers up, which means very little, but he definitely Patino got a look at him and decided that he liked the kind of player that he was, and I think that it'll also help to have some additional veteran leadership on the team. It's still pretty young, and as a consequence, the the more veterans you can bring in, especially as someone who won't cost you a scholarship for future classes, is a good thing as far as I'm concerned. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I, I think it'll be interesting. Um, personally, I, I think it, I think Springs could could grab a starting nod depending on how things shake out, but um, certainly he'll be in the rotation. I don't I don't think there's any debating that. But um, speaking of the new additions, Minnesota's also bringing in a pretty highly touted recruiting class. Um, you, you started talking about a couple of them. Uh, first off, what do you make of the class overall? How fast do you think it can can help the team, you know, from where it was last year? Um, and certainly with Amir Coffey, how big of a contributor do you think he can be as a freshman? I would be very surprised if Amir Coffey isn't starting the first game of the season. I think that he is a potentially transformative recruit for the University of Minnesota. He has we had the advantage in that his father is Richard Coffey. Otherwise, I don't really see him <laughs> staying home. I yeah. think if you if you look at if you look at that offer sheet and you look at the offers that were actually committable, that the University of Minnesota beat the blue chip of blue chip programs for Amir Coffey. He also is exactly the kind of player that you would look at Patino's system and think this is a player that's going to help you. He's tall. He's long. He is an excellent passer. He is a great shooter. He is very athletic. He has the ability to not only play multiple positions, but guard multiple positions. Potentially, if he bulks up correctly, he could guard one through four if the four is sort of a tweener smaller Mm-hmm. that's a player that any team in the conference would be excited to have coming in. So I think Amir Coffey is not only going to start, but I think he's going to be very good right out of the gate. I think if he struggles out of the gate, that that will probably be yet another signal that this coaching staff is not for long at the University of Minnesota. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. I, I think he's going to be a, a baller, and I, I think he's going to have a huge impact uh, from day one. Um, so spinning off of that, sort of a, a bigger angle here, um, how, do you, how do you see the starting lineup shaking out next year? And for this, we'll just assume Lynch is, get, deals with the legal trouble and, he, and he's good to go next year. Uh, what's your prediction for opening night? Uh, Nate Mason is your starting point guard. Dupree McBrayer is your starting two. Amir Coffey is your starting three. Jordan Murphy is your starting four. And Reggie Lynch is your starting five. And if, as I said at the beginning of this, if you look at that lineup on paper, 
it's hard for me to look at that lineup and not think that's an NCAA tournament lineup. Does that mean that they're going to win the NCAA tournament? Absolutely not. But I think that's certainly a lineup that screams that's a, that's a biddable team. And that's because you're bringing back the Big Ten freshman of the year who's only going to get better. Jordan Murphy's potential at the college game is sky high. You're bringing in a top 50 recruit who is very good. Uh, the seventh best recruit in the country at his position. You're bringing a transfer center in who was a absolute monster for rim protection, cleaning the defensive glass. And when he got the ball in the place that he needed to on the offensive end was also very efficient and would be expected to be so at the big 10 level, like he was when he was at Illinois state and then you're also bringing back Nate Mason, who is a great scoring point guard, and Dupree McBrayer, who at the end of the season last year was really beginning to show why he was a touted recruit out of high school, that he was bringing the toughness and the physicality, and so he was able to play defense really well, but his shot also began to fall. And as we talked about on the blog last year, if you compared Dupree McBrayer's end of the season to Austin Holland's, they look very similar. And mm. for the Gophers to get an Austin Holland's light player in that lineup is an all immediate upgrade. And so I think oh, that yeah. is your starting five. And then your plug-and-play players are going to be Devontae Fitzgerald and Eric Curry would spell Jordan Murphy, Michael Hurt, and whoever are going to spell Amir Coffey. Some of this sort of depends on how you think of Amir Coffey, because if you think of him as a three, then Michael Hurt would be the immediate person to come in for him. But if you think of him as a point guard, which he also is, then Patino can easily have a lineup that has three point guards on the floor when Akeem Spring comes in at any given time. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I mean, that, that'd be a huge boost. And I, I tend to agree. You know, I, I think the big – the big thing with Minnesota that a lot of people are sort of o- overlooking is that um, this team's going to look a lot different than last year. I mean, I, lot, some of the core is going to be the same, but a lot of new faces, a lot of new role players. Um, however, I, uh, two things. Um, first, I, I feel like some listeners will want to kill me if I don't mention this. Um, Ethan Happ was actually freshman of the year last year. Murphy was on the oh. all-freshman team, though. Um, <laughs> that that is that is true. I I maintain that that was a that was an incorrect that was an incorrect pick. But you are you are right. You are right for that reason. Uh, I should I, I should very Homer Soda. <laughs> I yeah. I just I have to throw it out there just for our our Badger listeners who may be on here, which I'm sure you you do not like to hear about. Um, <laughs> but um, I I also want to to throw this out here. Um, from a sort of a skeptic's view here. Again, I'm, I'm not trying to be negative or anything, but I, I think it's worth mentioning. You know, a, a skeptic will look at Minnesota and say, you know, they went 8-23 and 23 last year. Um, they won two conference games. One of them was against Rutgers. Uh, they lost to Rutgers, um, I believe, which was Rutgers' only, conf- yeah, only conference win last year. Um, how... Uh, you know, from a skeptic's view, how can you think the team's going to make the NCAA tournament, you know, with, with such a poor performance last year? Um, and I'll, sure. I'll leave the floor um, to you. 
Sure, I, I think I think if you're a skeptic, it's a it's a totally reasonable view to be a skeptic. As I said, that's why I think Patino to keep his job this year, next year, has to win, has to at least win enough to make the NCAA tournament. And the reason for that is if you are a skeptic looking at this program, you would say over a period of four years, they went from making the NCAA tournament in Tubby Smith's last year to completely tanking. Mm -hmm. That would indicate a severe regression in where the program was with new facilities coming in in the near term. It would make sense to have a basketball coach who could coach basketball players in those facilities. I would say to skeptics that the lineup for this upcoming year is almost completely different than the lineup for last year. And it's not just in the starting lineup. There's going to be in the starting lineup, you only have two new people, though one of them is, again, an absolutely fantastic freshman basketball recruit. Uh, but it's also on the bench. When the starting five subbed out last year, the bench that came in provided almost nothing. Now the players coming off the bench are good depth players. Does that mean that they're going to win the conference? No, I wouldn't predict them to win the conference. Does that mean that they're going to make an elite eight run? No, I don't think it means that. But what I do think is that if you got rid of the name Minnesota and you just looked at that starting five and then I told you who the next three players off the bench were just on a statistical basis and I asked where do you think this team would end up, I think most people would say, well, probably top half of the conference, they're fighting for an NCAA tournament bid. And I think that's the distinction. I think it is totally fair, if you are a skeptic, to point to the fact the team only won eight games last year. But I think it's also incumbent upon you, as the skeptic in this scenario, to recognize that there were some changes and that that should mean the team ought to be better. Now, will they be better? I don't know. I think if you're a skeptic, you can also point out the coaching staff hasn't changed, and they had a lot of talent last year and won eight games. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, from my perspective, I mean, you'd be very hard-pressed to not think the team gets better. I I think for me, it's just, you know, like you were talking about, how much better do they get? You know, can they get become good enough to make the tournament? But um, let's look to the other way here for a second um, and things on a positive note. Let's say Amir Coffey comes in, uh, just big-time freshman of the year type of uh, talent. Lynch is good to go up front. You know, Jordan Murphy takes a step, you know, freshman to sophomore jump. Um, same with uh, McBriar as well. Uh, how good can this team be? Uh, do, you, could, do you see it as a potential uh, top-section Big Ten sleeper, um, potential NCAA tournament run type of team, or – is this just a team that, that will max out uh, getting in uh, to the field of 64? I think a wildly optimistic take on next year is the top six Big Ten team. I think a sort of Patino keeps his job, so they make the NCAA tournament. They finish you know top eight in the conference. They obviously win a lot more games. I think the big difference is that they would win most of the games at Williams Arena again and probably steal a game somewhere on the road to a team that is injured in some way. See our win against Maryland last year. (laughs) 
I think that I think that the worst case scenario is something like something like last year. But if I think that they have a performance that's similar to that over the first half of the season, the Gophers have an interim coach to finish it out. Yeah, yeah, I I'd agree. But um, but with that, um, thank you for joining. I appreciate it. Um, it's been an interesting discussion, and I'm I'm excited to see what what Minnesota can do heading into next year. But um, with that, uh, thank you for joining. Appreciate it. And uh, enjoy your weekend. Yeah, anytime, man. Take care. <laughs> Definitely. Um, as a reminder, everyone, that was U Street from SB Nation's Minnesota site, The Daily Gopher. We really appreciate him coming on. I know we've kind of had some chaos trying to get this thing scheduled. But, um, but with that, that'll end our podcast for this time. Like I said, kind of rare we dive into one team specifically, but – Felt like we needed it here with with all the stuff going on in Minnesota right now. But with that, I'm Thomas Bendit, your host as always. You can follow me on Twitter at tbendit, and I encourage everyone to check out the the main page here over the next week or so. A lot of great content for the NBA draft, and we'll have a lot uh, following it as well. But with that, everyone enjoy your weekend, and thanks for checking us out.